Galatians chapter 3. I'm doing a series out of the book of Galatians. I want to follow on this morning in terms of what Tim preached last week uh, on Resurrection Sunday, the extraordinariness of the resurrection, at the same time, the orderliness of what happened. And I'm going to talk to you this morning, preach to you this morning, about the fact that Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And uh, you might, if you've been in this church for a while, you might say, well, Andrew, you really are bashing on a lot about this thing of the law and living by rules and that we're free in Christ. And why is it so important? Well, I want to say it's so important because it was very, very, very important to Jesus <laughs> that we would be set free from the curse of the law. Uh, it was so important to Jesus that he gave his life, that we could be free, that we could live free. And it was very, very important to Paul. He wanted to establish people in this basic reality that we don't live by rules, we don't live to please people, we don't live to fulfill some kind of moral code. We simply live by the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to the voice of Jesus, and we enjoy Him forever like that. No one, no one um, keeping tabs, no one, God is not looking over your shoulder. You are free in Christ if you believe in Jesus this morning. And we're going to talk about what it means to be redeemed from the curse of the law. And for me, this is good news, all right? So Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. All those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Can I say that again? No one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. The blessing of the promise of Abraham that comes to you and I is the Holy Spirit that we can enjoy and uh, forever be enjoying the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So God, I pray that you help me as I preach this morning to preach truth, that you might bring us all into liberty and freedom increasingly in our lives, that we might please you and honor you in how we live and might bring many sons to glory through the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, so the last, time, the last time I had a look at you with, uh, out of the book of Galatians, I spoke to you about Abraham, Abraham the model believer, and I said to you that basically Abraham was the first Christian, he was a Christian before Jesus came. Abraham was not a Jew. He was not circumcised. He was not baptized. All he did was he believed the promise of God, that God spoke to him, and he believed the promise of God, which pointed to Jesus. And the Bible says that Abraham, that was counted to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, he was the first Christian. He was the model Christian. And when Paul is taking on these Judaizers that have come into the church and said to people, you have to live by the law, you have to obey these rules, you have to live like this in order, you must become culturally Jewish to become a Christian. Paul, in a masterstroke, he, he says, no, 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 let's just look at the first, the father of everything that we believe. And he says, let's just look at Abraham. And he talks to them about Abraham to justify his, his, um, his preaching that we are 
saved by grace through faith and nothing else. Jesus plus nothing. And so Paul, this is his masterstroke, and he's, he's actually pointing these Jewish believers to their father, Abraham. And he says, well, let's just consider Abraham. And all of this is to carry on to uh, justify, in a sense, his basic theology uh, of what he's been saying. And so Abraham was justified, and I had a look last time, and we simply said that justified is a word that just means that we are made acceptable to God. We are made acceptable to God by faith, not by our rules, not by trying to live in a certain way, but simply by faith. And I ended my message last time saying, if all that is required is faith, then why on earth did God allow the law to come? Why did he, why did he confuse everything by giving the law to Moses and giving these rules to the people of Israel? Why did he do that? And so I'd like to um, have a look with you this morning. And, and in, in this portion, Paul starts to discuss the law. And we'll see he's beginning a process of explaining uh, the law and why God brought it. And he begins to answer that que- question. Uh, and we can look at this over the next couple of weeks. But the first thing that he says out of these verses, he simply says that the law brings everyone under a curse. Okay, now that's bad news, all right? But the good news is that Jesus has become the curse for us, so we've been set free completely. But he says, the law brings us under curse. Verse 10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is what we know about the law. The law requires absolute obedience. Yeah? The law doesn't excuse you. Now, the other day, I was... um, Jesse was playing hockey, and so he said, Dad, my game is uh, at home this week, and I need to be at the new field down by the Watford Grammar School at uh, 8.15 in the morning. So we rock up there, 8.15 in the morning. There's not anyone else there. I say to him, Jess, are you sure that you're, it's a home game? No, I'm sure it's a home game. Gets on the phone, it's not a home game. <laughs> it's an away game. He has to be at the school at 8.15. So I... Get, we get back in the car, shoot off, go around, uh, and uh, if you know Watford, where I stay, there's a big roundabout, and as you come around the roundabout to go down to the, the boys' high school, there is a camera that is always there, and I know it's always there. And it's a 30 mile an hour thing, that zone. And so, of course, I'm going 34 miles an hour, because I'm late, I'm trying to get my boy to the bus, I see the flash. The law doesn't care that I was late, does it? The law doesn't care that I was trying to do something good for my son. The law says, you broke the law, you pay. That's what the law does. The law just requires absolute, total obedience. It doesn't care. There are no extenuating circumstances when it comes to the law. It requires absolute obedience. And as you know, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people... There were 2,000 rules and regulations that they had to obey. All of which there was some ceremonial law, there was some law for worship, there was law for eating, there was law for everything. And they had to obey 2,000 rules and regulations that uh, were written down for them. The law required total obedience to every single detail of it. And the only forgiveness that you could uh, experience was a ceremonial cleanness. Yeah? And so, if you know, in the, when they're going through the desert and there was a tabernacle, there were all these rules that if you were ceremonially unclean, you could go and do a whole lot of stuff 
and you would be ceremonially clean so that you could come back into the camp of Israel and you could enjoy worship with the people again. But it didn't cleanse your conscience. It didn't cleanse your heart. It was a ceremonial cleanness that you enjoyed. And this is the great problem that the, the people of Israel had. That, and In fact, Romans and um, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews and the book of Romans tells us, it was impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to cleanse the conscience of the people. That's what it says. And so there's the ceremonial cleanness they could enjoy, but they didn't have a happy conscience. They could never be cleansed by the law in that way they cleansed their conscience. So there was always this sense of guilt that people carried about sin. And this is what Paul is pointing out in these verses. In fact, he's quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26. So the first thing he says about the law is that it brings us under a curse. The second thing that Paul says is that it's, no, it's not possible for anyone to keep the law. Okay? So I want to just encourage you this morning, if you've tried to live your life by rules, it is impossible for you and it's impossible for anyone else to do it. It is impossible. This is what Paul says. And uh, he does say this. He says it is possible to keep it in an external way so that people can look at you and say, what a good person that is. Do you see how holy they are? Do you see how righteous they are? Do you see how religious that person is? Paul says he lived like that before he was saved. Do you know that? Well, I say that. Well, Philippians 3 verse 6, Paul says of himself, before he was saved, he says he lived like that. That people could point to his life and say, what a good Jew Paul is. Philippians 3 verse 6, I have confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he had reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. This is Paul boasting in a sense. I have more confidence than anyone else, he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, I kept the law perfectly, zealously, absolutely, Paul says of himself, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. <laughs> He's saying, I, I went hard against anyone who didn't believe what I, what I believed. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says of himself, in this external way of living, I was blameless under the law. That's how I lived before I was saved. That's what he's saying. There's one thing that Paul found he could not keep. And he says it himself. He says he found out that he could not keep the Tenth Commandment. Do you know what the Tenth Commandment is? The Tenth Commandment is, you shall not covet. You shall not desire. That's the one thing Paul says of all the law. I couldn't keep that one thing. There's something inside of myself. I couldn't help desiring certain things. <laughs> and have you found that when you're told, and this is what Paul is trying to say, when you're told not to do something, have you ever found that you want to do that thing? <laughs> that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, that's what the law does. When you say don't, there's something inside of you that is stirred up that wants to do that very thing. How many of you in your parenting with your little kids haven't found this? That a two-year-old, you can say, my son... I remember with Matt and Jess, you can do anything you want, but just that one thing, don't touch that thing. And what do they do? The first thing they do is they go straight to the thing that you said, don't touch. Isn't that true? There's something in our flesh that wants to break the rules. That's what the law does. All it does, it stirs up that desire to want to break the rules. When I was at... Um, at uh, uh, School, most of my high school, I was at a, at a boarding school. 
And uh, there were these orchards, um, and uh, we had avocado pears all around the property. <coughs> and we had to be in bed at a certain time and asleep by a certain time, and we weren't allowed to get out of bed after 10 o'clock. And so, of course, it was a great dare for all the boys that after 10 o'clock they would go get out of bed and go raid the orchard and go and get as many fruit as they could and go and get avocado pears from the, the local farmers. You know, why? Because the rules said don't do it. So, of course, everybody wanted to do it. There's this guy called Ronnie Van Lu. I'll never forget him. He, was, um, he played for the first team on the left wing and he made a pineapple concoction in the science lab out of pineapples, uh, alcoholic kind of cider stuff, which exploded everywhere. And of course, he kind of, he got into trouble big time for that. But why? Because the rules, when, there's something about boys at boarding school. When the rules are there, you want to break the rules. There's something inside of you that is just stirred up by the rules. <laughs> and that's what Paul is saying. That's what the law does. It brings you under a curse. You can't keep it anyway. And, it, and it's something inside of you is stirred up by the law that you want to break it. And he's saying, what hope do we have? Well, there's one hope that we have, is Jesus. He took all that stuff upon himself that we could live free. And so he's saying, there's the sinful side of our nature that gets stirred up by the law. Uh, Have you also noticed this? Uh, uh, This is what fascinates me. When people try and live by the rules, they get resentful and anger and bitter towards God. Have you ever noticed that? This is people's language. And this is how you know if you're trying to live by the rules in your own life. God, I have been a good person. I've tried my best. I've tried to do what you what you want me to do. I've tried. I've tried. Why do you let this bad thing happen to me, God? And people get all bitter and resentful and angry towards God because they think in their own lives, I've been doing all that I can. I've been following the rules. I'm a nice person. God, you should bless me. Yes? That's how you know you are under the law in your own life. And Paul is saying, the only thing that that's going to do for you is bring you under a curse. Be free from the curse. (laughs) Be free from the curse. The way that you get free from the curse is you put your faith, your trust in Jesus, who became the curse for you. And then the law has no bearing on your life anymore. You live free. Come on now, this is good news. This is what you should be telling everybody. And I'm just finding in my own life that this thing goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper deeper levels in your own life, doesn't it? And you find that you're responding out of, even if it's your own rules, (laughs) even if it's something that you put on yourself, in your marriage, in your parenting, with your friends, when you have expectations of people and that they should behave in a certain way, it's because you are putting that person under rules. That's your own rules. Set them free. Let them walk by the Spirit. Let them be accountable to God for their lives. You be accountable to God for your life. This beautiful thing that Helen shared with me. Have you got it on your phone? (laughs) Mother Teresa, listen to this. Mother Teresa, this was on Facebook. This is obviously not planned, I'm afraid. Can you find it quickly? Yeah, no pressure. My rules. Come on, Helen. What's wrong with you? Oh, don't make your problem my problem, by the way. No pressure. Anyway, it's Mother Teresa, and she says some amazing things. 
She says, <laughs> if I could just, here we go. It's talking about living your life before God and nobody else. This is what she says. She says, people are often unreasonable and self-centered. Found that? Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you're honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people might be jealous. Be happy anyway. <laughs> the good you do today might be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. It's brilliant, isn't it? What's she saying? She says, we live, we live for God. We, we live to please God. We don't live to please people. Do your best. Live free. Live from the inside out. Live by the power of the Spirit and live free. And everybody else must live free. We don't live for people. We live for Jesus. Amen? Okay, so Paul, first point he makes. The law brings you under curse. Second thing he says, no one can keep the law anyway. The third thing he says is that even the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk pointed us towards faith. That's what he says in verse 11. He quotes, he's quoting Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. You see, that's why Jesus was so blunt with the Pharisees. That's why Jesus really got up their noses, because the Pharisees thought they were obedient to the law, but Jesus showed them in the inside of their lives, in a strange way, they were completely blind to the law. Have you ever found that about legalistic people? Legalistic people are always pointing fingers at everyone else and saying, you're not doing that, you're not doing that, you're not doing that, you're not pleasing Jesus, and yet there's a strange blindness to the self-righteousness of that. Have you ever noticed that? It is so self-righteous, pointing out everyone else's faults and not, not dealing with your own. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying um, to, to the Pharisees. I, I thought of an example as we've just celebrated re the resurrection. In, in John 18, 28, they were plotting to murder Jesus, weren't they? They were taking him to, to be murdered, and at the same time, they were desperately trying to keep the law. It says, it says to us in verse 28 of John 18, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, the, governor of, uh, the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could still eat the Passover. <laughs> So they, they're taking Jesus to be murdered. They, they're planning to kill him. And at the same time, they are keeping the law perfectly. Not defiling themselves so they can eat the Passover. That's what religion does. Makes you blind. Completely. You can point out everyone else's faults and miss the plank that is in your own eye. And so... Jesus always, always, you notice how strong he is with the Pharisees? Notice how strong he is with the religious people? You notice how compassionate he is with sinful people? 
Luke eleven thirty nine. You Pharisees, clean on the outside of the cup and dish, inside, full of greed, full of evil. Luke forty two. 11.42 Woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe, mint, and rue, and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. It's not that he's saying don't tithe. It's not that he's saying don't pray, don't be generous. No, he's not saying, he said you should be doing those things. You should be generous. You should be giving, but don't neglect the other thing, and the other thing that you should be pointing yourself to all the time is justice and mercy and loving others and being kind. You do both. Come on now. And so Jesus is reminding us uh, in these statements that he makes that true obedience to God only comes after we come alive to God. That's when we start to be truly obedient. It's only after that we've been accepted by him that we are given this new life. And you see, what, what uh, Paul is why Paul is quoting Habakkuk when he says the righteous will live by faith. That's the emphasis. The righteous will live by faith. It's echoes of Genesis 15, 16, isn't it? And this righteousness was credited to Abraham as righteousness. It kind of sounds like that, but, but Habakkuk is going further. He's saying, no, it's not just about being justified, it's about by living by faith. Sorry, I'm spraying all over you. I just saw it went like that. The righteous will live by faith. What does that mean? It means that he's talking about the life that comes by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is talking about. He's thinking about the Holy Spirit when he says that. When we are right with God, when we have been made accepted before God, we begin to experience life. In other words, the life of God begins to flood our souls. We become sensitive towards the Holy Spirit and towards God. We have a desire in us and an energy in us to serve the Lord. We have the ability to hear His voice, to understand the Word. Have you ever noticed that before you were saved? You read the Bible, it didn't mean anything. You couldn't understand it. You get saved, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, ah, I see what it means. You can understand. It's supernatural. It comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. The righteous, those that have been justified, those that have been made acceptable, they will live by faith. They will have that inner power, that inner source, energy that comes from the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you this morning, if you are lacking that energy, we want to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and refresh you. Because you need it. You know, the Holy Spirit is wonderful. He leads us into truth. He leads us into righteousness. He teaches us. He helps us to resist temptation. Men in the, in the church, if you are unable to resist sexual temptation... I want to ask you, are you renewed on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit? Because that's what enables you to say no. The power of the Holy Spirit inside of you enables you to say no. He's beautiful. He's the energizer. He's the one who gives strength to the weak. We sang about it this morning. Still my friends. (laughs) The righteous will live by faith. That's what Paul says. The fourth thing he says, and I'm nearly finished. Do you notice he says, the law is not of faith. The law is completely different from faith. Completely different. The one who does them shall live by them. In other words, Paul is saying that the law doesn't even require faith. You can obey the law without having faith in God. 
That's what he's saying. And when I was looking in the Scripture, you know, when the, in the Old Testament, when the Bible talks about the law, it does not talk about faith at the same time. There's nowhere that I can find that the, the law and faith go together. Nowhere. Never mentions the law. And so, Paul says, like I said in Philippians 3, Paul points out already that he had achieved this kind of level of righteousness even when he was, when, when he was saved, before he was saved. He was righteous in the eyes of the law and he didn't even believe in Jesus. <laughs> didn't require any faith. And so these are the key things that we need to understand as we start to talk about the law and why it was given. The law was given because of people's sin. We're going to look at that in the, in the next couple of weeks. It was designed by God to help to control unconverted people in the people of Israel. Unfortunately, it brought people under a curse and they couldn't keep it. But it was temporary. The law is temporary. Why? Because the law, like a schoolmaster points us towards what we really need. That's what the law was given to us, to point us towards what we really need. And what do we really need? We need a Savior. We need Jesus. We need His blood. We need His righteousness. That's what the law does. It points you to Christ. And you begin to understand, I can't do this on my own. It is impossible to live like this. The only way that is possible is to put all my eggs into Jesus' basket and to believe on what He has done. And that perfectly satisfies the Father. And I'm free. Man, that's good news. That's the gospel. And so then lastly... Uh, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And I've already said to you that the joyous news that we have is that Jesus became a curse for us. And it simply means here that he bought our release. To be redeemed means to buy at a great price somebody else's freedom. So that's what Paul is saying. Jesus became the curse and bought our freedom at a great price, and that price was his life. Right? Have you ever thought of this? When Paul is saying he redeemed us, he's not talking about Gentiles. He's not talking about people like you and me. Why? Because the Gentiles weren't under the law. The people that were under the law were the Jewish nation. So when Paul says Christ redeemed us, he's talking about Jewish people that the curse of the law was broken over their lives and they were no longer under the curse of the law and that they were free in Christ. And here's the thing that Paul also says, though, is that Christ paid the price once and for all for everyone. And so as the Jews were set free under the law and there were, it was no, no power over them anymore, anyone else who believes in Jesus in the same way, the power of that sin and law over their lives is broken forever. That's what he's saying. So as it happened for them, if we believe in Jesus, it happens for us. And in, so in this way, the, the curse that Jesus took upon himself opened the way for everyone who is not Jewish, everyone who's a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. You are a Gentile. If, 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 if Jesus hadn't taken the curse upon himself, the way would not have been open for all of us to enjoy the freedom that Christ has bought for us. And so... Jesus died to save the whole world. And he took the curse of sin upon himself for the sake of the world, for every single person. 
And so Jesus made that all possible. And just as the law of Moses prevented Gentiles from becoming God's people, Jesus taking the curse of, upon himself made the way open for Gentiles to become God's people. And that's what we've just celebrated over Easter, over resurrection time. That's what we celebrate, that the, the way has been made open because of what Jesus did for all of us to enjoy a relationship with God. And Paul explains that in great detail in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to have a look, verse 11, but I'm not going to look at that now. I want to finally say then this morning that the seal that Paul says we have upon our lives is the promise of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? In verse 14, he says, all that take, took place on the cross, all that Jesus did in becoming the curse for us, was so that the blessing of Abraham might come to us and we might receive the Holy Spirit. The blessing of Abraham is the Holy Spirit. The blessing of Abraham for all nations is the Holy Spirit that we can enjoy in our lives. And so the proof that the Gentiles were accepted by God is that they came into, experience in the, into, into the experience of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the book of Acts, when Peter's preaching, when other people are, are preaching in the book of Acts and the Holy Spirit comes down upon them, all the Jewish people say, this is extraordinary. We can see that the Holy Spirit is upon the Gentiles. Yeah? And they're speaking in all kinds of different tongues and people from all around the ancient world can understand what they're saying because the Holy Spirit is upon them in power and in an obvious way. The seal of the Holy Spirit, the worldwide blessing of Abraham, is the experience of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you this, this morning, uh, all of you, my friends, I want to encourage you. Who of us doesn't need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives? We all need the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to say this to you. If you are struggling in your marriage, if there's just a sense that your ma marriage is like a little bit kind of rubbing the wrong way and you kind of, uh, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're struggling with your kids and you just like, whatever you try, you don't seem to be able to break through with your children, what do you need? You need the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's some guys at work that you just kind of really get up your nose. Every day you go, you say, Jesus, today I'm going to be a good, I'm going to be a good witness to this person. And you're not there for two hours and suddenly you're already like, oh! Do I only get like that? No one else? Okay. Well, it's just for me then. But anyway, <laughs> so you get really frustrated by this person. More of the Holy, that's what we need. We all need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more of the Holy Spirit. Don't you hear what I'm saying? And so I want to pray for you this morning. I want to pray that if you need more of the Holy Spirit, you would be bold to stand and to come forward and we're going to pray for you. I'm not going to ask what the reason is. I'm not going to ask why you're coming forward. I'm just going to, we're going to pray. The ministry team is going to pray for you that you would just experience more of the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon your life where you need power, that you will have power. Perhaps you're someone who's always wanted to share your faith with someone else and you're nervous. You just, you can't do it. What does it say about in the book of Acts? It was the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke about Jesus with power and everyone was amazed with power and great boldness. If you lack boldness, and you want to say, I want to be a bolder witness, that we want to pray for you, that the Holy Spirit would empower you from the inside. Amen? So this is going to require a response. It's going to require you to be brave. It's going to require you to stand and to come to the front so we can pray for you. Whatever you need 
the power of the Holy Spirit for in your life. We want to pray for you this morning. Is there anyone who'd like to respond? Just respond now. Come, and we're going to get the team to pray for you. Um, just uh, during the worship, I just felt some words of knowledge for for people for healing. Um, and I, I just felt different things. So I felt there was someone here who has uh, had a pain in their ear. I don't know which ear, but you, you're struggling with a quite severe earache. Um, and then I felt there was also someone with um, an irritation with your skin. Your skin's either very inflamed or sensitive at the moment. I just felt something like that. And um, I also felt there's someone that's struggling with cysts in their abdomen area, um, some pain in the abdomen. So. Great. So if you need prayer for healing, we'll pray for you as well.